And you may be seated. Youth, you're dismissed. Go ahead to your class and uh, the rest of us. Let's go ahead and open up to uh, Ruth chapter 3. Thank you, Robbie. Robbie got the call late yesterday afternoon. Our sister Sarah is, is unwell today, and uh, so we want to pray for her. And I uh, also want to give you an update uh, on Barbara Johnson. Barbara, if you, if you can hear us, Lord, we love you. Um, Barbara is uh, in her last days. And um, uh, just pray for our sister that uh, her passing uh, will be smooth when the time comes and uh, continue to uphold the family. Um, but as of 8.30 this morning, she was still with us and uh, we just wanna continue to lift, lift them up. And so Father, we again, Lord, we lift up our sister Sarah, Lord, we lift up the others, Lord. I know there are other people that aren't here because they're, they're not well, Lord, today. Um, whether it's colds, flus, seasonal allergies or whatever, Lord, um, or even worse, Lord. We just commit them all to you, Lord. And we just pray a special blessing upon our sister Barbara, that you might touch her, Lord, that you might uh, just uh, at the right time bring her into your kingdom, Lord. We thank you for her, Lord. We pray for Michelle and the whole family, Lord. And we continue to, uh, to look to you, Lord, for you are good. You are a good, good father. You are a good and loving God, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that your promises are true. Lord, as we look to your word, Lord, we acknowledge, Lord, that these words are spiritual, Lord. Lord, you breathed life into them, Lord. You, you preserved them for us, Lord. You've given us your Holy Spirit whereby we might be able to understand, Lord, and we might be able to comprehend and, and, and have, have a, a, a knowledge of of you, Lord, but we don't want just a knowledge in our head, Lord. We want that heart knowledge, Lord. So, Lord, would you just open our hearts, our minds, Lord, to your word, Lord. Speak to us today, Lord. And, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh, Lord, our rock, our redeemer, how we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Well, praise the Lord. We uh, are in the book of Ruth. Uh, we have uh, two chapters to get through today. Um, I'm confident we'll get through it very well. Um, and then next week, Pastor Bob will be back, Lord willing. Uh, and uh, uh, we look forward to that. So if you've been with us, you understand, you, you remember that uh, the first two chapters have covered two major themes. Chapter one really was about a decision made by Ruth, a decision in regard to the things of the Lord, the things of God, higher things, if you will, and not things of the earth. A decision to change her people, to change her nation, and to change her, her God. And to follow Naomi back to Israel and to be her her, her provider to care for her. This is a decision that will ultimately change her destiny as we will see uh, today in our, in our scripture. To commit her life to Naomi, her mother-in-law, whom she had watched intently. She'd watched Naomi go through incredibly difficult times. Ruth herself went through difficult times in the loss of her husband. But Naomi herself, having gone through the loss of her husband, the loss of her two sons, had not forsaken her God. She was an effective witness. Even though, we, as we, we mentioned last week, Naomi seems to have lost that, that understanding that God is a good and gracious God, that God is a loving God. She still clung to God, and she still... still um, became an effective witness for Ruth, who saw Naomi go through these things. And, and we noted that that's really, you know, uh, we're gonna look at the threshing floor today. And, and if you will, our life is a threshing floor. We'll talk more about that when we get to that point, but the threshing floor was the place where the wheat and the chaff were separated, where God would, would for us, 
he provides things in our life to separate the flesh and the spirit, to get us to that place where we're not clinging so much to this life, but we are laying hold and clinging to the life to come, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that was chapter, th- chapter two. I'm excuse me, chapter one. Chapter two showed us Ruth following through that decision, following through that commitment. And the focus is on on Ruth serving and her labors. Her labors to provide for Naomi and for herself. Ruth had to go into the barley and wheat fields to glean food, something she may have never done before. But in that process, God in his providence was at work. And he, we saw Ruth happen to end up, oh, just by a coinkadink, happened to be in that part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who happened to be a close relative, one who was a kinsman redeemer. And we, we noted that there really is no coincidences in the kingdom of God. We can trust that God is at control, that God is guiding our, our path. So many times, though, it's that invisible hand. It's that invisible, that, that invisible uh, uh, direction that we get. And we, we launch out in an area. I remember having this, this picture when I was first called to the ministry and, and we went up uh, to, to Washington State. And, um, and I remember having this picture and looking back. And, and, and I was recalling going, you know, every step I took from the time that, that I, I gave myself to the Lord and, and he began to work. And it seems like it was like, I got I got when, uh, when Teresa used to do a lot of knitting, she doesn't do so much anymore, but I remember helping her. If you ever, if any of you guys follow me on this, but the ladies probably know, when you buy a skein of yarn, it comes, it's all packaged. Well, to, to use it, the best way is you, you roll it into a ball so that it comes easily. Well, I had this picture one time as, as I was helping her and was, of our life. My life was like walking this, this ball of yarn and, and, I'm, and I'm going forward. And all I can see is loops and turns and I don't see a, I don't see a clear path. But yet, when I looked back, I saw a clear line that God was leading me on, a clear path. And that's so much like it is for probably you as well. God directs us in those ways and we go, what am I doing? Why am I going this way? Lord, aren't we supposed to be doing this? And God leads us in a totally different direction. And yet somehow in his providence, As we follow his will, we see God has been leading us directly in a straight line. We just didn't recognize it. And so we see that happen for Ruth here as she's going through, you know, well, we gotta gotta get some food. So Ruth knew evidently from Naomi, you gotta go out and glean the fields. That's the way God had provided. And we looked at that scripture last week about how God had provided that. But she happens in this field, just so happens, well, God in his providence brought her to the field of Boaz. And Boaz was a kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word for kinsman redeemer or close relative, as it says in the New King James, is, the, is goel. It's the word goel. And the goel had a specifically defined role in Israel's family life. He was responsible as it says in Leviticus 25:48, he was responsible to buy a fellow Israelite out of slavery. So if one of your family members had been sold into slavery, he was the one that could buy you back. He was also responsible to be the avenger of blood, to make sure the murderer of a family member answered to the crime. And you can read that in Numbers 35, verse 19. He was also responsible to buy back family land that had been forfeited, as is in the case we're looking at today. Leviticus 25, 25 speaks of that. And he was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying a childless widow. And that's noted in Deuteronomy 5, 
uh, 25, excuse me, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, and that also pertains to today. Um, Morris, in his commentary, he says this, in this we see that the Goel, the kinsman redeemer, was responsible to safeguard the persons, the property, and the posterity of the family. He says, words from this root are used with a variety of meanings in the Old Testament, but the fundamental idea is that of fulfilling one's obligation as a kinsman. Boaz acknowledged and acknowledges in, the, in chapter 2 all that Ruth had done and her care of Naomi. And he takes a shine to her. And he shows her unusual kindness and protection during the harvest. Remember, he was telling the guys, hey, let her glean wherever. Don't, don't scold her. Don't embarrass her, even if she goes among the sheaves. And, and drop those little handfuls, those little handfuls of purpose, just so that she'd have those little blessings. And we talked about how God does that for us as well. So by the end of chapter 2, Naomi now has regained hope as she sees this blessing. She sees Ruth coming home with this, with this tremendous amount of barley. She, Ruth tells her that, that it was the, the property was Boaz's and he's, he's a kinsman. You know, and, and he gives, she, she just, her, her whole perspective has changed. She realizes Boaz has taken notice of Ruth by allowing her to continue with the women that were gleaning after the harvest of the barley, but hey, stay through the wheat harvest. Naomi would also know Boaz was a direct descendant of Rahab. And if you haven't thought about that yet, Rahab the harlot, you remember when Joshua came into the, the land, right? He sent spies into the town of Jericho. Rahab the prostitute was the one that hid them so that they would not be detected. And when they, um, they, they repaid her kindness, they said, when, when we come in, she says, you know, hey, save me. You know, we, we, want, we know about the fear of the Lord. We, we've heard of your coming. You know, please say, and he says, well, if you will hang a scarlet cord in your window and anybody of your family that's in the house, we will spare. Outside of that, we won't. There's another picture there of Jesus, isn't there? That scarlet thread, that scarlet cord, the protection in coming to Christ. And so they do. Um, they go back. The conquest happens, and Rahab hangs that scarlet cord, and her and her family are saved. And we learn later that Rahab marries an Israelite and, and becomes a, a proselyte. To, to, to the nation Israel. And so to the, she receives God as her God, leaves her pagan way, just like Ruth. Well, we're not sure, because we're not sure 100% where this account happens for Ruth. It was during the time of Judges. Whether it was early or late, we don't know. But Boaz was a direct descendant of her, of Rahab. So whether he was a grandson, a great-grandson, it was in the family. So Boaz and Ruth would know that he had no prejudice against this Moabitess, who was a beautiful woman. And he acknowledges that she had come to find shelter under the wings of Jehovah God. So at the end of chapter two, several months have passed by. The harvest is at an end. Ruth has been diligent to obey the words of her mother-in-law, faithfully providing for them both. The gleanings now, as I said, in chapter three, they've come to an end. The theme here is rest, is, is coming into that place. She is surrendering. Ruth will be surrendering her own will. She's going to continue to just lay down her own, her own desires, surrendering to the will of God because God is at work and doing something amazing here. And she's going to enter into that rest that has been provided for her. All this time, though, Naomi's been scheming. She sees What's going on? She sees that, hmm, 
as Boaz and Ruth are walking back to Bethlehem, coming from the fields, you know, she's saying, hmm, he's smitten with her. Hmm. So she decides she's going to be a matchmaker. And she's going to work and seek security or rest. The word security that we'll look at in verse 1 of chapter 3 is the word rest. It's the same, same word. Naomi notices. And so it begins, continuing on the story, verse 1, chapter 3. Then Naomi, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, Shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? All during this harvest season, Naomi's been watching. She notices that Ruth is, is being modest. She notices that Ruth is a reluctant to really make her claim that she is, uh, needs, a, needs a redeemer. And so she's going to prod her a little bit. The Hebrew word for security or rest is menach. And it may refer to a state of rest or a condition of rest. But in this context, it refers to the condition of rest and, and security that is to be attained for Ruth through marriage. Naomi is basically saying to her, shall I seek a marriage for you? She's being a matchmaker here. She's being a yenta. If you've seen... Uh, uh, fiddler on the roof, you know what I'm talking about. She's the matchmaker here, and she's, she's going to set things up. Now, Naomi, in her own mind, she had three issues that she had to overcome. There are three issues. How could the name of her husband, Elimelech, be maintained among the tribes of Israel since both her sons were now dead? And that was a, an important thing, to be named, to, to keep your name alive among the tribes. That was a huge thing among the people of Israel, still is. And so that was one, how can I do that? Number two, what steps should be taken to protect her inheritance? I mean, what, what uh, Elimelech had, had built up and what he had left to her was, was entrusted to her. You know, now, now she's either had to sell it or going to have to sell it because she can't survive. So what does she do in that situation? And then number three, how could she provide rest and security for her faithful daughter-in-law? You see, a marriage between Ruth and Boaz would solve all those problems, every one of them, because it would mean that Boaz would now be the provider. It would mean that Boaz, by marrying Ruth, would, would take that name of Elimelech. Uh, in, in effect, Boaz as the kinsman would, would really rightfully be marrying Naomi. But she's older. And now there's a, there, there was a son that got married and Ruth. So, so Ruth would be the one because Naomi would re renounce her claims and saying it's all Ruth. Ruth is the close, close relative. And so in verses two through four, she lays out her plan. Take a look at this. She says, now Boaz, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. She knows his schedule. She's checked this out. Hey, I know he's going to be there tonight. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. So, so Naomi's pretty clever here. She's laying out Boaz's qualification. Hey, his position, is he not our relative? Is he not the Goel? Is he not gainfully employed? Those are his field. Those were her, his, his young women that you were with, his servants. He's, he's got a good job. I mean, I can just hear, yeah, got a good job. He's able to provide. And then she's done her research. Hey, he's going to be at the barley fields tonight. So this is what she should do. Now, now the threshing floor, I talked about that before. A threshing floor was a communal area, usually, especially in a small town like Bethlehem. 
And it was an area where all the, the field owners would come and they would, they would gather and they would take turns on the field. They would, there was typically a, flaw, a hard flat area where they would beat the grain, uh, beat out the stalks and that would loosen up the grain. And then they would winnow it. Winnowing was, involved throwing the grain into the air with a fork or with a, a shovel, something a lot, to allow the wind to blow and separate. And so the, the heavy grain would fall, the chaff would blow off. In Israel, the westerly winds would come up in the late afternoon and into the early evening, and so it was perfect environment for that. And the grain was then removed from the threshing floor and placed in heaps, either to be sold or, or carried manually on carts for, for, for storage. Um, you see Song of Solomon's chapter 7, verse 13, and Amos 2.13 refer to this process. But, and the straw would become fodder for the animals, and, and the, the chaff was used for fuel. They didn't waste anything. They would burn that up. And these were festive times. So, so don't think that Boaz is down by, the, by himself in, you know, with a few people. There were a lot of people down there. This was a time of, of, of joyous occasion, of, of, of celebration, because God had faithfully provided for them, especially having come out of a time of famine. So they would be rejoicing, they would be celebrating, they would be dancing, there would be lots of activity. So that sets the scene. Naomi knew Boaz would be sleeping at the threshing floor because he needed to protect his investment. There were other people that were there with their grains, you know, and he didn't want to lose his investment. Also remember, it's the time of judges. Men did what they wanted to do, whatever was right in their own eyes, so they, they banded together to protect one another. And so Naomi tells Ruth what to do. First, clean up, take a bath. This, this seems, seems kind of silly to us, you know, it's like, but, you know, we probably bathe, you know, a hundred times more than they did in those days. And so she's saying, look, you know, clean yourself up, take a bath. Second, anoint yourself, apply some perfume. And it was usually um, perfumed olive oil and to combat the body oil odor, you know, I mean, it's, it's a reality of life. And third, she told Ruth, put your best garment on. Now think about this for a minute. Ruth's a poor widow coming from Moabite, from Moab. Yeah, she probably doesn't have a best dress. She probably only has one, one or two garments at best. But really, if you think about it, what she's probably telling Naomi is, it's time to change out of your clothes of mourning. It's time to put on some regular clothes. It's time to, to get on with life. And, and Arnold Fruchtenbaum, in his commentary, says, if all, if all this time she'd been wearing the clothes of her widowhood and mourning, it would explain why Boaz had not moved to court her, for he would not impose himself on her as long as she was still in a time of mourning. So she was to do this, and then lastly, she was to remain anonymous. Don't make yourself known until he has finished eating and drinking. And again, with a large crowd, celebrations and stuff, it would be easy for her to, you, to do this. And it was a very important part of the plan. And he, she says in verse 4, Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. And you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. So this is important because... It's going to be dark later. Note where he's, he's, you know, they didn't have LED lights and stuff. I work in, I do some commercial property management. We, we have LED wall packs so that we can keep the property properly lit all the time. They didn't have that. So she's saying, take a note where he's settling out when he's, you know, and then you know, you follow that because you don't want to be stumbling in the dark trying to find where he's at. So, in guarding the grain, again, Boaz is going to be sleeping on the threshing floor. He's going to be have his cloak covering himself to keep warm. And Ruth is now told, uncover his feet so that he would awaken when that cool air comes in. He would, he would note something. Something's amiss. 
and she was to take that servant's position in which the servant lies diagonally at the feet. So she's to lie down at his feet, the place of a servant. And this would all happen at a time in the night when all the others were asleep. Ruth was, was to be a petitioner. She was, she's going to ask him. She's going to be saying something here. Now, there's no hint of immorality here. Later on, he's going to tell her, stay the night here. And he doesn't mean anything by that other than just stay here. Be safe. He doesn't want her to, to wander back off at the middle of night. Um, it's very important that we see this. Because in the context of the law of Moses, this is a legal appeal, appeal that Ruth is going to make. Ruth's action here would mean that she was requesting Boaz to fulfill his duty as the kinsman redeemer. So Naomi says, do this and then wait for him to give you instructions. And I find verse 5 fascinating. And Ruth says to her, she says to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Now put yourself in, in Ruth's position. Wouldn't you be going, what? what? <laughs> Uncover his feet? What? <laughs> yeah. Undoubtedly, she was familiar enough with the custom. But I noticed, noticed the heart. All that you say to me, I will do. Ruth states that she's going to act in full and unquestioned obedience to the directions of her mother-in-law. What a woman of valor, as we're told later. She's a woman of valor, high honor. She respects Naomi enough that she knows that Naomi is not going to send her on a wild goose chase, that Naomi has her best interests at heart, and so she's going to entrust herself that. And so verse 6, so she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk, you know, it's not... There's no hint of drunkenness. It means he's, he's, he's had a few drinks, he's calm, he's, he's eaten, and his heart was cheerful. He went down to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Verse 8, now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there was a woman lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? Probably so dark he couldn't really see for sure. So she answered, I am Ruth. Not I am Ruth the Moabitess, but I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Again, Ruth showing great humility and submission, saying to Boaz, I'm, I'm your servant. Take your maidservant under your wing. So she is boldly here asking Boaz to take her in marriage. The phrase of, of you know, where she lifted, you know, she, she uh, you know, came softly and uncovered his feet. The uncovered his feet can be translated, and I think some of your Bibles have a footnote there. Spread the corner of your garment over me. This was a culturally relevant way to say, I'm a widow, take me as your wife. So there's no bones about this. Boaz isn't confused of what she's saying. It's very clear. And she's very clear. She's taking the first step, ladies. Those of you who are single. I don't know if anybody's here single. They're all, oh, there are a few, so. Godly, led by the Lord, though. Remember that. Verse 10, then, she, then he said, blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. Blessed are you. He recognizes this gesture. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you didn't go after young men, whether poor or rich. He's praising her. About, he says, what you're doing now is better than all that you have done for Naomi up until this point. You didn't go after the young guys. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. You're a woman of valor. The word virtuous woman there, it's the same in Proverbs 31. Who, a virtuous woman, who can find? 
It's that character that Ruth had. And everybody knew, again, a small town. They've seen how she treated Naomi. They've seen how she had, had cared for her. They've seen how she had labored herself rather than put Naomi in that place where Naomi had to go glean. She took care of her. And they saw how, and undoubtedly, probably as a very beautiful young woman, as we're told, she probably you know, had other people come other guys say, hey, you know, what you doing? <laughs> she wouldn't have any of that. She was a very virtuous woman. Now it's true, verse 12. I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives lie down until morning. Boaz commends her for not going after younger men. And it, the implication is that he believed Ruth probably could have had any man she wanted. And he praised her for being willing to marry an older man in order to fulfill her commitment to her first husband, Malon, and to her mother, mother-in-law, and to Elimelech, the family name. Ruth was willing to pass up the younger men who were not Go Goels, for that would have only benefited herself and not Naomi. She was willing to take on the family obligation of her own free will. Nobody was forcing her to do this. And she's not acting out of passion. She's not acting out of greed, but only out of love for Naomi. And she considered her own happiness secondary. I mean, you think about truly virtuous woman as she is. Boaz says, don't fear. I will do all that you request. In other words, he's going to fulfill his obligations as the kinsman redeemer. And he gives the reason because you're, everybody knows. But it, the question is, is going to be not, will she be married? The question is going to be, who will she buried, be married to? Because he says there is another Redeemer that's closer. I love how Boaz wanted to do things right. Though he was more than likely attracted to Ruth and wanted to marry her herself, he didn't want to cut corners. He didn't want to do things underhanded. He would do God's will, God's way. And he would entrust his future to God. Even though he wanted and had that desire for her, and even though he probably could have just married her on the spot, he was going to wait. He knew that if it was really of the Lord, then it could be done orderly and in a proper way. How hard it is sometimes uh, for us to wait on the Lord. We're going to see wait is another theme in this book, as Ruth is going to have to wait as well to see the outcome. So verse 14, she lay at his feet until morning and she arose before one could recognize another. And then he said, hey, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Wanting to protect not only her armor, honor, but also to protect that of the other kinsman redeemer. That he wouldn't find out that she had gone to him first. What an honorable man he is. Also, he says in verse 15, bring the shawl that's on you and hold it, or the cloak that you have. And when she held it, he measured. Now, our text says six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. If it was six ephahs, literally, it would have been like 150 pounds. The word, if you notice in the New King James, it's italicized. It literally means six measures. And we're not sure exactly what it was. Was it a siah, which is a, a quarter of an of a, of a ephah? We, we don't know. But it was significant enough to where when she held it, he measured the barley and he laid it on her. The idea is that she laid out the shawl. He put these six measures of barley bound it up and put it on her back. He laid it on her. So she's going like, a, like with a backpack of barley, a huge amount. 
Remember before how Naomi had been uh, amazed at, at, the, at the amount that he, that he had given before. And now this truly is a great amount. So she goes back to the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, verse 16, she said, is that you, my daughter? Now, now she's not really saying, is that you? She recognizes it. Literally what she's saying is, how did it go? Has there been any change in your circumstances? She's waiting to hear. Then she told, then Naomi, Ruth told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, these six measures of barley he gave me. For he said to me, don't go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And then <laughs> Naomi knew. I mean, this is quite an investment of barley. Naomi knew. He says, okay, sit still, my daughter until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. This was a signal for Naomi that Ruth is, uh, that Ruth is, is, is going to be married and that Boaz is actively engaged in this to bring that much barley. You know, and again, he comforts her by saying, look, it's going to be made, but you're going to have to wait. Sit still. Again, how hard it is sometimes for us to wait on the Lord. Where we see and we think we know what the direction that the Lord is leading us. But the Lord says, wait, be still. The Psalm says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that he has your best will at heart. So chapter Four opens up with now Boaz, so that's right away. Boaz is is heading to do his his business, and he went up to the gate and he sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, "Come aside, friend. Sit down here." So he came aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and and said, "Sit down here," and they sat down. Now, the city gate was the place where legal and um, business transactions were held. It was always at the city gates. In fact, they would build into the wall, the city wall, they would build places to where you could sit. Um, and I'm told, I haven't been to Israel, but I'm told there are even some places in the wall there that are remaining where you can see that there were some seats carved out. Numerous examples in scriptures about how the, the, the city gate was, was key. If you remember in Genesis 23, Abraham purchased a burial place for Sarah at the city gate. Absalom, in his deceit, he won converts when he was trying to usurp the throne from his father David by placing himself at the city gate to, by offering to settle their arguments endearing himself to the people. Kings would sit at the city gate for legal business. We see lots of examples in that. Uh, by the way, Absalom was in 2 Samuel 15. Uh, kings would do this. You see that in Jeremiah 38, 7. City gate was also the place for judging the manslayer. Joshua 20, verse 4 refers to that. Criminal, criminal, criminal acts were, were also judged there at the city gate. So it's an important place. The city gate was the place. It would also be the place that you would go to find out what the latest gossip is. You'd go and you'd hang out at the city gate. What's going on? And so, another coincidence. Behold, the other kinsman redeemer, he comes by. Yeah. Again, the timing is God's. And Boaz says something interesting. He says, Come aside, friend, and sit down. Now, Boaz knew his name. Um, he probably greeted him by name. But the writers have used this word uh, friend. And, and literally in ancient Hebrew, it's so-and-so. It's Mr. So-and-so. Hey, come aside, Mr. So-and-so. See, the writer of Ruth never identifies the man. Perhaps he wants to spare the family's shame because he, he's going to reject Ruth 
And he's, he's going to have to live with that because he'll know the, his family will know the knowledge, uh, know, know, the, know that, that from Ruth is going to come the King David. And so the, the, I think the Holy Spirit is kind of showing a little mercy, not, not, not allowing the writer to put his name down. Uh, the words, my friend, became a catchphrase in Israel. And in some of the rabbinic writings, uh, they would use this designation for, to, to, to talk about an unknown John Doe. Well, Mr. So-and-so did this. Well, suppose Mr. So-and-so would come by. So it's very interesting. Just a little side note then. It's interesting as well that Boaz took 10 men of the elders. They would serve as witnesses in this legal transaction. And he chose elders because they would also serve as judges. Elders were to deal with criminal cases and with family matters. And so Boaz wants to make sure that everything is up board, up, up above board and, and you know, clear. The judges, the elders, would deal with Leverite marriage issues. And so that's what this was. And why did he choose 10, though? They don't know for sure. But it became a custom after this Centuries later, it became the number uh, if you were going to have a quorum for a synagogue. You couldn't have a synagogue unless you had 10 Jews present. And so it became that, and they would use this number uh, in, for a Jewish marriage benediction. And so, but prior to this, there's no mention of 10. So it's just another little first that comes here from Ruth. So verses 3 and 4, Boaz lays out his case. And he says to the close relative, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, sold the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. And I thought to inform you, saying, buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And so he says, I will redeem it. Now, Boaz is using a strategy here. If you didn't notice, what did he not mention? Who did he not mention? He didn't mention Ruth. He didn't mention anything about that. He unfolds the elements case by case. I mean, step by step. Naomi has a field. It belonged to her late husband. No information is given beyond that. If you'll redeem it, redeem it. Now, the nearest kinsman had the right of first refusal. It was his. It was his to choose whether he was going to receive it or not. Boaz was next after him. So if Ruth's closer relative would not redeem it, would not purchase it, Boaz was, was prepared to do so. So what Boaz puts in terms of a purely land transaction, there's no, there's no t hesitation on the guy's part. Oh, yeah, I'll buy it, sure. And can you imagine Ruth and Naomi? Because undoubtedly they're nearby. They're hearing this and they're watching this. And I can imagine when he says, I will redeem it, I can imagine their hearts sank. They heard from his own lips that he would exercise his right as kinsman redeemer. And that mean, meant that he would gain not only the property in question, but also marry Ruth instead of Boaz. But Boaz knew what he was doing, and he had the situation in control. He wanted Ruth. So then he explains in verse 5. Then Boaz said, you know, undoubtedly great, wonderful. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth, the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And so but no, hey, when you buy that, when you acquire that land, you also acquire Ruth. So the close relative, you know, verse 6 says, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So when it was just a matter of property, it was easy to decide on. Oh, I'll take, yeah, okay, yeah, great. But when Ruth is in the picture, it's another matter. With this further stipulation, he refuses his right, fearing his own estate might be dangerous. So he gives the right 
to redemption to Boaz. We're not told the reason why he refuses. We're not, we're not told. The best thought is that he knew that if Ruth bore him a son, that son would eventually inherit not only the redeemed property, but probably part of his own property. And he may have had sons who were in line to receive that. And so he's saying, you know, he may have had a wife that wasn't going to, you know, cotton to having another woman in the house, especially a Moabite. We don't know. You remember, they looked down. They were told to avoid interaction with these people. So if Naomi were the widow, not Naomi and Ruth, then it wouldn't be an issue if, because hey, she's past the time of childbearing. I can, I can buy the land and we're not, not going to have to worry about that and hunky-dory. But now Ruth's in the picture. We're going to come back to this thought in just a few minutes. Verse 7, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. So evidently at the time the book of Ruth was written, this custom was no longer in, in practice. And so the, the writers make sure that we understand. The custom itself arose from the fact that fixed property was, was taken possession of by treading upon it. And if you remember, when God promised Abraham that he was going to inherit the land. What did he tell Abraham to do? He said, go and walk the land. Genesis 13, 17, you'll see that. And as Joshua again was told, to, as he was gonna lead the people into the promised land, he was again told by God, Joshua 1, 3, to walk the land. Every place where you put the sole of your foot is yours. And so this was a, was a sign of ownership. And so taking off the shoe and handing it to another was a symbol of the transfer of a possession or the right of ownership. Now, Deut Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through 10 describe the ceremony that would be conducted when a kinsman declined his responsibility. The one declining removed a sandal and the woman he declined to honor would spit in his face. So it had to be an interesting process. But in this case, since there was no lack of honor being, being uh, you know, dishonored, you know, they just did the part of the ceremony involving the sandal. And so receiving the sandal symbolized now Boaz's right to walk on the land as his property. And Boaz jumps at this at verse 9, quickly goes to complete the transaction. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Malon's, those were Elimelech's sons, from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. So he's holding them accountable. You're witnesses. We do that as well. I know Pastor Bob does this and I do it as well when I'm doing a marriage ceremony. I, 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 we give the charge to the, the married couple, you know, do you, you know, promise to do all, you know, how, however those vows are. And then we do a vow to, the, to the, those that are in tennis. And do you vow this day to do all in your power to uphold and to support this married couple? And I usually will say, you know, if, if so, say, I, I will. And people generally will, will respond that way. Moaz, though not Moaz, boy. Boaz, though it's not stated here, assumes also the responsibility to care for Naomi in this. The commitment that he had made to Ruth translates also to her commitment that she made to Naomi. So what a contrast between these would-be redeemers. Mr. So-and-so's interest was in the field and not Ruth. So he was unwilling to risk his own livelihood 
to receive her. He was only concerned with himself and his own, his own situation, and so he rejects the opportunity. Boaz couldn't care less for the field. His only interest was Ruth. But to get to Ruth, he had to buy the field. And he was willing to do whatever it took to receive her to himself. So he moves quickly to redeem her. What a fitting illustration this is of our Lord, our Redeemer, our Jesus. Jesus, in giving the, the kingdom parable, says this in Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus sold all he had, gave all he had to buy the field. You remember in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4, 8, specifically, I'm going to read from there. When the devil comes to tempt Jesus the third time, he says, it says it in Matthew 4, 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Of course, then Jesus says to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Like Boaz, Jesus had no interest in the field. He didn't have any interest in the kingdoms of this world. He had no interest in the land. His interest was in you and I, the people of the land. We are the treasure that Jesus paid all to receive, you and I. And he is our kinsman redeemer. So verse 11 says, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. And so we see this response. And first they give the blessings to Ruth. Blessing upon, may Ruth be like Rachel and Leah. Undoubtedly, they're thinking of, of you know, Rachel and Leah. They were, you know, the mothers, if you will, of the whole nation of Israel. Between them, they had 13 children. But not only that, Rachel was named first. Rachel had been barren for so many years. And like Ruth later had a child. Ruth is like, is like Rachel in that regard. She's going to have a child. She's been barren. Second, the blessings upon Boaz. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. In other words, in other words may your name be established. May, you, may God grant you, and the, the idea here is, is may God give you lots of sons who will make your name renowned. That was the, somebody who had lots of sons. That was, you are a wealthy person. And thirdly, may your house be like the house of Perez. Now, Boaz was from the tribe of Judah. So it's interesting, they don't say from the house of Judah, but they say from the house of Perez. And if you remember in Genesis 38, 27 through 30, Judah had three sons. And one of them died, right? Was married to Tamar. And then the other one dies as well because he's given back, he's given to Tamar. And then he has a third, Shelah. But rather than give him to perform that Leverite marriage, he holds him back. And Tamar disguises herself as a prostitute and basically forces his hand. And through, through Tamar, Perez is born. And so there's the indication, there's the, there, there's the, the link there. 
Boaz descended from, from Judah, from Perez, and Boaz was the, of the clan of Perez, a clan that had settled in Bethlehem, of whom Tamar bore. So there's that link. So verse 13, Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife, and when he went into her, the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. You know, the gift of children was never taken for granted in Israel. The fact that Boaz and Ruth were able to raise up a son to the deceased Elimelech was evidence of God's blessing. We're not told, we don't know why Ruth was barren through those years with Malon, but could it be that God was planning something greater? I, th I think so. Now her faithful obedience was rewarded as God gave her conception. God had been gracious to Ruth, starting back in Moab by giving her the faith to trust him and to be saved, to come into the, to under the shadows of the, the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. I love that you, you used a song that, that had that image there, Robbie. That was great. You didn't even know. Her grace that she received continued when she moved to Bethlehem, for God had guided her to that field, the literal field where Boaz was the kinsman redeemer and he falls in love with her. God's grace continued at the town gate where the nearest kinsman rejects Ruth and Boaz purchased her. And after marriage, God poured out his grace on Ruth and Boaz by giving her conception and then by giving her the safe delivery of a son whom they named Boaz. Verse 14, then the women said to, Noam, to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative and may his name be famous in Israel. So they're acknowledging you've been redeemed too, Naomi. You've been redeemed too. God is, God's blessing is upon you and may he be to you, talking about this, the child, may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her bosom, and became a nurse to him. Now, it's not that saying that she became a wet nurse, that she became basically a foster mother Having grandchildren, I got to tell you, I understand where it says, may he be a restorer of life to you. May he be a nourisher of you in your old age. What they are to us is a nourisher of life. But you think about as we conclude this story, what a contrast of how things began. Deep sorrow turned to radiant joy. Emptiness gives way to fullness. The women said, look at blessed Naomi. She has a grandson. She's no longer empty, but now she's full. And she gets to be a nursemaid to her own grandson. If Naomi had not decided to go back to Bethlehem, if she had not decided to go back to God, none of this would have happened. Ruth would not have come after her and followed her. This is a great reminder of what God can do through one poor woman who gets right with him. And not only a one poor woman, but one poor man. If we get right, God can do amazing things. In chapter one, Naomi said, the Lord is, Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The Lord has brought me home again empty. The Lord has testified against me. If only at that time Naomi could see how much blessed she is now the end. But don't we do the same thing? Don't we, don't we live in that same place? We should learn from what she learned. God is always at work. We should learn that God has a plan and that's perfect, that's filled with love. And even when we can't figure out what he's doing, it all seems so desperate. But God is at work. He still knows what he's doing. We should learn that all things work together. Romans 8:28. for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And the neighbors are the ones that gave Obed his name, saying, there is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. 
Only time you see that in scripture where the, the, the neighbors name the baby. And Boaz, evidently, Ruth said, you know, that's good enough for us. That's a great name. So he is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Ruth and Boaz would become the great-grandparents of David, the king of Israel. And then verse 18 through 22 just sums up the genealogy. We won't have time uh, to look in, in depth of this, but... It says, now this is the genealogy of Perez. Perez begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. And Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. And Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz. And Boaz begot Obed. And Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David. So we see this. There's, there's 10 generations that are listed. There, were, there undoubtedly were more. They were just showing key families. Um, but, you know, as, as Kidner says, and I'll close with this, uh, this uh, scripture, and then, then, then I have a couple of final comments. But Kidner said in his commentary, God's hand is all over history. God works out his purpose, generation after generation. Limited as we are to one lifetime, each of us sees so little of what happens. We don't see. A genealogy is a striking way of bringing before us the continuity of God's purpose through the ages. The process of history is not haphazard. There is a purpose in it all, and the purpose is the purpose of God. Naomi's return to Bethlehem and the roots of David in Bethlehem, going back to Ruth and Boaz, are why Joseph and Mary had to travel to Bethlehem, because that was where their family was. At the census, they had to go to Bethlehem. It's that link for us. That, that ties it together. But you know, the consideration, we talked about how Jesus being our, our kinsman redeemer, it doesn't begin here really with the mention of David. We saw it before. It's been through the whole book. And, and just to kind of close as, as, as we prepare our hearts for prayer and for, for the last song, the kinsman redeemer, there was a couple of things. He had to be a family member. That's why Jesus, God in the flesh, became a human, took on human flesh, and became man and dwelt among us. That he might be in that place truly as the kinsman redeemer to redeem us and save us. The second thing, the king, kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying family members out of slavery. Jesus redeems us from slavery to sin and death. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying back land that had been forfeited. And Jesus will redeem the earth that mankind sold over to Satan back in the garden. Boaz, as our kinsman redeemer, as, or as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, was not motivated by self-interest. Neither was Jesus. This is for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross despising the shame and he he gave his life the joy before him was you and I the treasure that was hidden in the field Boaz as kinsman redeemer had to have a plan to redeem, redeem Ruth Jesus as our kinsman redeemer had a plan God had a plan that he launched back even in Genesis chapter 3 and he's been fulfilling that plan some might think the plan is foolish, saving men by dying for them on a cruel, cruel cross, but the plan works and is glorious. Remember, Jesus had no interest in the field, but he's forever invested in the treasure of the field. And if we take away anything from the book of Ruth, take that away, that he is fully invested in you and he's laid out and preserved this book for us to be reminded that he laid down everything for you and I to purchase the field so that he might have the bride. Finally, in Revelation 5, as, as John is writing and he sees, sees this scroll in the right hand of him who sits on the throne and, and, and he begins to weep because there's no one that's found worthy to receive that scroll. That scroll is the title deed to the earth. 
And so he begins to, to weep. But then one of the elders says to him, it's in verse 5 of Revelation 5, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, he says, John says, Behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though he had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set out into all the earth. And then he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the throne, who had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign with him on the earth. Everybody said, amen. Lord, we, Lord, we thank you. Lord, this is your plan. It's a marvelous plan, Lord. From the beginning, Lord, as we look back and we see even at the beginning when Adam and Eve sinned, Lord, you gave that promise that, that from the offspring of, of Adam and Eve, Lord, would come one that would, would that, 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 that the serpent would strike at the heel, but they would smash the head. That, that coming one would smash the head and destroy death forever, Lord. And that coming one is Jesus, our Lord. And we are so thankful, Lord, for your redemptive power, Lord, what you have done for us, Lord. Father, we ask, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, Lord God, you would give us that, that sense of purpose, Lord, to follow after you like Ruth and like Boaz, that we would seek you, Lord, and allow you to do, to, to bring us to the threshing floor, Lord, to bring chaff and, and, and wheat, separate them, Lord, so that we might be made more like your son. Lord, I pray that you would be speaking. I, I know that you're here. I know that you've been speaking to all of our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us, Lord, greater understanding. Lord, anything that's of me, Lord, blow it away like chaff, Lord. But the things that are you, let us take hold of, Lord. And let it be life-changing for us, Lord. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, I mean, let's stand together. We'll sing one more song here.